now on PG Podcast Network, it's time for the year-round carnival with Vince Accardi and your host, Racetrack Rolfie. G'day, thanks for checking out Year Round Carnival. Each and every Monday, well, usually, we review the best racing in Australia, and this is our end-of-year show where we can just look back on some of the best races via the IVR perspective from Vince Cardi's Daily Sectionals, maybe some lessons learned and just a little bit of a refresher course. G'day, Vince Cardi. Good morning, Ralphie. Mate, sensational year by you, and uh, and we've been able to enjoy the journey with our very, very loyal listeners and loyal members and people who buy our preview podcast. It's been great fun, and as always, this journey, we never stop learning. No, no, it has been a... <laughs> Actually, in many ways, has been fantastic. In some ways, probably the sad part was how wet it was, particularly in New South Wales. A lot of horses didn't get their opportunities. Would have been pretty tough for for everybody that wanted to participate in that sport. Other than that, geez, it's uh, we've seen some good horses as well, didn't we? Absolutely, Hanamo, Nature Strip, go to England. Yep. We're going to touch on some of those. And I suppose I was I was going to mention that anyway. That the theme from the year, I reckon, from from what we do as far as new levels of learning. Heavy tracks, there's heavy tens. Some there, there's some tracks that just aren't heavy enough. And when you get to that level, sometimes it's really hard to trust the form. It is really hard to trust the form. It's very hard to do the form on the day as well. And of course, easier said than done. It's, it's the simple things are the best. Sometimes you just say you stay out when it's just like really diabolical in terms of ground conditions. Because it's a big guessing game when you get to things like I don't know. If we're looking at our new charts, we're we're talking about like having like a heavy fifteen as part of our, you know, new system of how we want to grade various things. Because uh, minus seventy on tracks, on raw data, and eighties, it's just like never ever seen anything like it. So really, a heavy tracks about what minus fifteen, but in Sydney metropolitan race days, we we're seeing minus thirties, minus forties. Well. It's not like beyond the norm to get up to minus 30, generally speaking. Yep. And we could say that's the outer edge of a really heavy track, you know, a better, worse than a heavy 10. But there was a lot of meetings, Ralphie, where they were minus 50s and 60s and <laughs> 70s. That That's just like, I don't know, new ground. You, you try and understand, well, how do you decipher that? What do you do with that? How do you bet with that? And the simple rules sometimes that you, one forgets is just keep your money in your pocket on those days and or try and bet elsewhere if you've done the work. Well, it's your, it's your biggest protection as a punter, isn't it? It is. It <laughs> really is. It's A lot of people want to work out how they can improve their, their game and it's one of the ways to improve your game is bet a little bit less. Yep. Target the right races. Yep. And avoid the ones that you're not keen on. Exactly. Yep. Um, let, let's start with the 12th of February. So uh, what we're going to do is just pick out some good races through the years. I haven't run any of this past Vince. We just better as we go. Uh, that's that's pretty much how we do things on a regular basis, isn't it? So uh, we're going to start the 12th of February. Before we do, uh, this is at Caulfield. Uh, the the All Stakes, always the, uh, the first group one of the year. The first uh, big meeting, of course, is the Magic Millions. And that'll be our next podcast that we'll do both pre 
and post. And by pre, I mean we'll do our preview podcast that we've been doing on the Fridays, uh, really targeting the, uh, the the key races there on Magic Millions Day. And then on the Monday, that'll be our first review show back. And the reason we're able to do this is because of our loyal members. Uh, you can become a member for as little as $5 a month because you don't listen to any corporate bookmaker support here. We want you to win. We might get it right. We might get it wrong. But we always uh, give you the best premium information and we are completely independent. And the reason we're able to do that is we have customers who by our preview podcast and we have members who support us year round each and every week you get best of the day from melbourne and sydney that i write up from our sizzlers black book product and you get that email to you if you're a member and this year we've been starting some group one member bonus podcasts and we're going to certainly continue that in the future and that is our sort of look forward and uh we've found some some super winners just in the couple of months we've been doing that so we do look after people who look after us um and that is via vince cardi's daily sectionals work all right vince uh let all stakes. Tafane beat Lighthouse, beat Cascadian. Unplaced was I'm Thunderstruck. You'd think that's crazy. But I just want to mention this. is It's a nice little fundamental. Caulfield, position in running, and also trainer's intent. If you're a mare, winning a group one is just premium. If you're a gelding set for the All-Star Mile, it's not just about talent. And I'm Thunderstruck, unplaced, even though he's as good a horse as any in this field. Yes, well, <laughs> I'm thunderstruck. Wow, what a horse, really, when you think about it. That particular day, if we go back and sort of revisit, firstly, the speed that it travelled at, 5.9 lengths below benchmark, and the lead speed was only sort of plus one, so it wasn't like anything horrendous in terms of early pace. Where it was positioned, it was probably... It's not like an impossible position to be in, but it's sort of on that borderline over 1,400 metres. The move in the mid-race, again, wasn't like a massive overextension. It was around 7.7. That was the mid-race move. But the last 400 was the real indicator about how well the horse is going. And, and there it was, plus 6.5 last 400 metres. Very, very strong. And didn't this horse really become... a well, we always felt this was going to be a dynamic racehorse but with the potential of going to new levels, but we did get to see uh, right in that particular race where this horse was heading. And uh, and it was easy in the market, which, of course, reflected the fact that it was set for the All-Star Mile and the Doncaster, which it later ran placings in both. Uh, Vince, this is a horse that um, you've uh, you've put up a little comparison to Faulkner, which is, which is fascinates me. When I started working with you about a decade ago, Faulkner was a dynamic 1,400-metre runner, but they taught him to relax, and he got, went on to win a Caulfield Cup. So what you're saying is that uh, in the spring of 2021, this horse really emerged and stamped himself with a Turak and a Golden Eagle win. But they're teaching him to relax, and you're not ruling out the fact that maybe he has got some elite uh, uh, form and performances in front of him over the uh, longer trip. Well, this was always the big test to see whether this horse could transition into that sort of 2,000-metre two, two, type profile runner. Like I was, I guess initially I was of the view that it may be tough to be able to get that type of distance, but as we've realised as time progressed, even like that run at Flemington, if we go all the way to like November, that was the pace probably was against the 13.1 lengths below benchmark, but the way it finished the mid and the late, like combined almost 11 lengths above benchmark for the last 800, that, that's a real show of excellent sustained speed. Even the run before that, Ralphie, on a you know a really damn track where it produced a 4.4 at Mooney Valley and 
over 2,040 metres. That was another sign that the horse was demonstrating that there was some capacity that this horse could uh, make that uh, transition to 2,000 metres. And the reality is now that it's had well, pretty much had three runs in the, in the preparation at 2,000 metres. And we've seen – I felt the, the best run was the Caulfield one when it was the 3.9. Yep. Again, no real speed. But the reality is the horse is putting down good performances. Now, it wasn't matching the plus sevens, but now with that racing under its belt and the further evolution and the horse probably potentially the very best to come out of it when it steps out next campaign, this will be the opportunity to see whether that horse can make that last step, I call it. You know, breaking through that sort of mid four range and potentially becoming a plus six, plus seven horse at 2,000 metres. It can happen. I have seen it happen. And this is one of those runners, and the, and the, the style and the way the trainers have worked it has been able to, you know, allow that to come to fruition, I guess. And back to the winner, Tefano. It's since been retired, but I reckon one of the learnings out of this is uh, the guy who book, bookended the year, if you like, because this was a group one, and at the end of the year he wins a Melbourne Cup. Mark Zara hasn't got the profile of a, you know, an Oliver or a Lane or a Williams or a Jamie Carr over here, but really on his day, he this and the numbers, what I'm asking you is via the numbers that uh, he produced that day, that is just another uh, group one winning perfectionist ride. Well... Yes, and the, let's look at the horse, though. What a journey. That horse was sold, yeah. I think it was in Queensland, on one of the sales. Yep. And what a move to say, let's roll the dice and keep racing this horse. And there's no doubt they would have got their money back because the horse came out and was doing some sublime performances. I mean, look at the Caulfield run in, Octo in October, Ralphie, plus 6.1 over a mile, narrowly beaten. I mean, absolutely airborne. All right. Towards the very end, we, start, we started to see probably where that horse was going to end up heading, and that's pretty much in that sort of sub-three range and maybe have had enough racing. But, yes, this was uh, a horse that showed a lot of potential. And the rider, Mark Zara, I watched his transition even through the carnival. There was a number of races where I felt that he sort of procrastinated a little bit in terms of his uh, riding, and this was... Probably, he was probably second-guessing himself, and I'm talking about specifically when it was on a horse like I'm Thunderstruck. Yep. But once he tuned himself up, he demonstrated that what well, he's, I guess, has always had that ability of being one of the top riders, and he demonstrated that he was up to that, and he made those fine tune tuning on, on let's say, I'm Thunderstruck in particular to be able to get the best out of the horse. Uh, a week later, uh, the group one was the Lightning, Hot favourite was Nature Strip, just narrowly beaten by Home Affairs. That didn't tell the tale. To hear the tale, you have to hear the start as well as the finish. Set for the lightning. Stand by for a start and they're racing and Nature Strip was away only fairly and got squashed in between Eduardo and also Profiteer. Nature Strip was clearly the last out. Nature Strip chasing Home Affairs. Home Affairs digs in for the fight and And, of course, audio from uh, Racing.com, Matt Hill's fantastic call. That was drama at the start. Nature Strip, who flies the barriers slightly slow away, then gets crunched out of the race, somehow gets beaten in the nose. Vince, this is what the, the, the thing to learn out of this is just a repeat of your point. Once the barriers open, anything can happen. You call it chaos theory. What sort of percentage do you put on that? Well, I always have a bit of a rule of the thumb, Ralphie, that there's 
25% for me is the chaos theory that you just can't work out what's going to happen. And, and it does play a big role because you only have to look at your own journey and say, oh, you know, why is it that, you, you know, there's a lot of times you can't get the winner or you can't back the winner and you look at your strike rate and say, oh, well, it sits around 20 25% generally speaking. A lot of it is made up because of the chaos theory how a horse turns up on the day, they miss the start, so many things they can't get out. How do you predict that in a race? You might be able to have some insight in terms of where they're drawn, barrier-wise, race shape-wise, but ultimately, there's a lot of things you can't predict on the day, and therefore, it does play a big role, and this is why I guess we always hear a lot of communication over the years gone by that you do need a little bit of luck, and this is the case in racing as well. You do need a little bit of luck. There's no doubt about that. And uh, Home Affairs, of course, gets the money and uh, one more start, then retired to start. Nature Strip went on to glory and we'll touch on some of his uh, his fantastic races uh, shortly. Uh, a week later, the uh, Blue Diamond Day. Another one of uh, the, the uh, your theories that you, uh, of course, is, uh, is, isn't just a theory. It's backed by years of, uh, of work, Vince. So Dormier just beats Revolutionary Miss and Jackano. Uh, we look at the form from the race and really the only horse that's gone on is Jackano, who is a slow maturing type of horse. Dormier wins with didn't even break benchmark so first thing all you have to do is win when it comes to you know if, if, if you happen to get a, a weakish crop uh second point a lot of horses don't improve on their first on their best performance of their first prep and this is a stat that you brought to the table that's uh that blew me away when i first heard it and it just keeps on coming up well yes well this is the thing isn't it ralphie this is that's exactly what does happen very very few horses can go on but jack and o, you look at a horse like that well i'm absolutely convinced we're nowhere near seeing the ceiling on this horse i'm very confident that that we're going to see a lot more of this horse i just feel when you've got these big races which is a new thing that we're dealing with now we've touched on it in the past these big races with giant amount of money can really sway the strategies <laughs> of a lot of uh, trainers and, and owners, and, and, I, and I get it because if you had a horse, you'd be wanting to have the same opportunity. How can we run in that big race? You know, it's worth millions. But what that also does is it, it can set up a, a scenario where, in some cases, it can uh, ruin horses for their full history. Yep. And in other cases, they don't perform as well, and they could be forgotten. And I'm not saying Jackano is going to be a forgotten horse, but I'm fairly confident that Jackano is going to be a far superior horse beyond 1,200 than at 1,200. Right. And, of course, that uh, the Golden Eagle that we'll get to later. But I suppose the other point I should make from that Blue Diamond, Dormier winning, and this is another group one from Mark Zara, but the Freemans are just such fantastic grand final trainers. They are. They've, they've proven it many, many times to get horses ready and, and up on big days. And sometimes, again, we just come back to the luck factor. Like in this particular case, <laughs> yeah, if you ran benchmark, goodness, you know, how would you know that would get you victory? And in this case, it was like 0.4 below. Absolutely. Uh, let, let's have a look at a couple of Sydney races as well as, as their autumn carnival started to blend in. And uh, if we go, um, let, me, uh, let me try and uh, open it up because I want to uh, get when, uh, when Converse actually beat Animo, and gee, by the end of the year, you'd think, well, how did that happen? So on the 5th of March is, is what happened, and in our post-review, Vince, you said, James McDonald just took that little bit of procrastinating here, and it was on a heavy track, of course. This is in the Ramwick Guineas on the 5th of March, and Converge was able to just hold off 
The data showed it was a matter of just time and timing, fifth best last 200 of the day. But uh, the best learn, Vince, and the best, even the best make mistakes and the best learn. And what we saw from Animo is he went on to not be too far back in these races because, of course, no speed, no talent. But on this occasion, that's how the odds on favourite got beaten. Yeah, wow. You know, I'm just thinking about that now. There it was, race pace, 8.6 lengths below benchmark. Animo's travelling 15.2. Pretty wild. I mean, the winner converge was 12.2, but that's a three-length head start on the chessboard. Makes a big difference, particularly in, you know, very wet ground. Hard to make big moves in the mid-race when you've got heavy ground conditions as well, and you could see that pretty pretty clearly. I mean, Animo's move in the mid-race, there was a big surge. It was like 9.1 lengths, Ralphie, between the 8 and the 400. And Converge, who was in that better position through that first half of the race, the move for that horse was half the amount. It was 4.5 lengths. Now, that makes a massive dif- difference when you're trying to make those sort of surges and to help get victory. And and then I look at the last sort of 400 metres, even though Animo made further ground on Converge, but we're only talking like a, a length, but not enough. And you're right, this is the, the power of understanding about if it's a slow-paced race, you don't need to be out the back. You, you should be in a, in a position, as always, where you can strike victory. And it's, battle of tactics do play a big role, and this was a scenario where it wasn't really the better horse that won. It was the better positioning running that won the race. Like that race shape ended up suiting the winner more than Animo. That's all it was, but it was definitely not the better horse. Well, hold that thought because a fortnight later, he went to the Rose Hill Guineas, 19th of uh, March, and uh, let's pick up some Dar- Darren Flindell's call. And Sinbar's last. James McDonald's going to take the favourite of the front now. This is the best of Animo today. A brilliant performance in the Rose Hill Guineas. Won it by seven lengths. Audio courtesy of Sky Racing Vids. He's just smashed the field there. Absolutely smashed him. And from then on, he was never back in the field. No, no. They, <laughs> well, I don't know if we were so they learnt from it, but they made sure that this horse was going to start getting some ones next to its name, <laughs> which it rightly deserved, by the way. It's not like this undoubtedly was well it would have to be borderline the best horse we've got in the country and the display on that particular day that you're talking about was real evidence i mean again talk about slow this is all ground condition driven right 26.6 lengths below benchmark for the first 1200 meters. that's crazy that is absolutely slower than barrier uh, trial speed i would that would be akin to hurdle pace really i mean i've seen lots of hurdle races where they go minus 20 25 and there we are and this is of course to do with the ground condition but the surge in the mid race and this is the big thing when you go so slow you have so much energy and the high class horses can make the massive moves and even on that day to break benchmark last 400 under the circumstances i thought that was pretty big effort no doubt. Uh, let's go back to the 5th of March. The other, the, the uh, Flemington uh, Australian Guineas has run the same day as the Randwick Guineas. And Hototsu beat Lightsaber. And I remember on the Monday podcast, Vince, you, your head nearly rolled off. You said, is this the best stable in the country or what? First up, after winning a derby, it wins an Australian Guineas. And doesn't just win an Australian Guineas, it wins a high-class Australian Guineas. 3.2 lengths above benchmark. Wow. I think you summed it up there, Alfie, the stable. Wow. What an emergence. I mean, not that this stable was never 
not capable. They've always been very, very capable. They just appear to be able to be like next level and next level in terms of their precision to pinpoint races. Yep. And to absolutely get that peak performance. And so it was sort of like akin to like the weird team, how they used to just get horses turning up on big races and getting them to peak on their day. And the same could go with, uh, I think it was the Lana Williams stable in Western Australia, about how amazing they would be in the big races that they could just find that two or three lengths for this horse to be able to come to the top. That's, you know, that's a real art. And we'd seen Waller do that a lot in the years gone by as well. So I guess it's, it's a testament to the stable. Yep. And their planning and their thinking processes. And you've got to watch out for that, don't you, Ralph? You've got to watch out that they can come in with horses that are sub-performances leading into a race. But if they've got that peak in them on that day, you can be assured in most cases that they're going to deliver. Well, we, we, we love targeting them early with our sizzlers, and we certainly did that with Gold Trip. We'll read what <laughs> read a bit later what we wrote about Gold Trip after his first Australian run in July. Uh, but that's what they, that, that's part of the fun art, isn't it? Just seeing what they uh, what the big stables can do and where they're in, where they're intending to go and, and when they do execute. Oh yeah, Gold Trip. That's a classic example with yep. the plan. Obviously, they had that long range plan. In the meantime, they were probably you know the stable was probably learning about the horse. That's actually another lesson even for myself, Ralphie, about the evolution, about how stables, when they get international runners, sure, they get a big briefing, they get some sort of insight, but it's never going to be the same insights as them training it themselves. And they're going to want to you know, test a few things out and see whether they can or can't deliver under certain circumstances and find out maybe a little bit, about, a little bit more about their own profile, about what it characteristics are or what it likes and doesn't like. The biggest thing that you can't sort of knock, and this is, again, what makes the stable so great, is how they can progressively tune them up so they can be ready for the big day despite all the things that go along the way. Yes. Yeah. And probably what you mentioned there, you've made me reflect that that's what Team Williams has been doing so successfully uh, for Melbourne Cups, and now other stables are doing it, which makes it even tougher. So the, the, the competition at the elite level for these big races and getting these imports that so many stables are now attracting uh, makes it makes it even a tougher tougher uh, task. Yeah, and there's more bigger races coming, right? Yeah, well, that's this it is, too. This is crazy. <laughs> I, I, this, But so what's crazy about it is this, Ralphie. It changes the philosophy be about how you do your form and you have to make these transitions. Otherwise you, you are going to end, end up with a lot of empty pockets. <laughs> That's right. Because there's flat runs, there's peak yep. runs and, and various lessons to be learned along the way. A week later, March 12, uh, at Flemington, the, uh, the big super Saturday meeting there. Well, I'm calling the the new market. There's your chaos theory. One Oh one rocket horse 100 to 1 beats the astrologers at 61 dollars they've had some fun with the astrologers given he won the uh the, the quokka or whatever it's called <laughs> the, no sorry the gold rush at the end of the year uh september oh, run yeah. at 25 to 1 levante 17 dollars why were they all big odds in the new market well the horse is split and the inside was clearly uh superior and uh some including arturis got their tactics wrong but it was just a two-speed race and two-track race and these things happen well yes and There'd been a good period where that wasn't sort of happening, right? Yeah. Let me set up the straight. And then all of a sudden, bang. Yep. And the split comes. And this is what makes it extremely difficult when 
you know, you're working on straight line racing, right, is that they have big fields and they split because it becomes tough because there can be a massive difference between the inside and outside. You know, on any given day, there could be a five-length variance. Now, that's a lot, right? Does that mean now if you've come down the outside, you're automatically a five-length better horse than the horse on the inside, you know, for future form re- references? No, but... You've got to be aware of that, and this is the the part about the game that when you get into, I just call them lanes, right? Yeah. When you've got the straight racing, there's a lot of lanes to choose, but the, we know, generally speaking, that on that outside is generally so much faster in terms of grounds, and if you can get there, you can get a big advantage, but we have also seen times, and this is, could be win-related, where being closer to the inside gives you the advantage because you get the cover and the protection. <laughs> so it, it's, it's a not easy. for the best of times, Vince. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, that's right. It's not easy. And, of course, usually the safe plays go with the class, right? But Rockin' Horse was never going to be an easy horse to predict, Ralphie. No, not at all. <laughs> Got him again later in the year. We'll get to that. Correct. Uh, a week later, 19th of uh, March, uh, Golden Slipper Day, the race to take out of this, I reckon for a discussion point, Shelby 66. Now, it, it was a marvellous story to come from the Sapphire Coast. It, what love these bog-heavy tracks, and it ends up winning a Group 1. If someone had said it would have got beaten at the Sapphire Coast, it's going to be a Group 1 winner. You would have said they were insane, but it won. What I want to say, take out of this, Vince, it won a Group 1 2.5 lengths, Above benchmark on a very wet, on very wet track, but this is your point that every race is unique, and if you're going to look at historical stats, you're probably going to lose long term because a horse like Nature Strip wins a wins a Galaxy with plus six above benchmark. All you have to do is beat the opposition. That's it. That that's the bottom line. That all you do have to do is beat the opposition, and you do need that. You know the right race shape on the day, and if yep. it works for you and you're fit and ready, victory is there to be taken. Yeah, and it got got them got the money there again. The Golden Slipper a race earlier was a was a case of what we talk about here. Very wet ground. Some horses can't can handle it. Some horses can't. Fireburn two point three length above benchmark. Excellent performance, but she hasn't come back. And it's not so much the uh, you know people so about what, what's the what's the phrase they use the the Golden Slipper uh, oh, some uh, hoodoo. Yeah, Golden Slipper hoodoo. That uh, why they don't come back. The reality is on your on your this is again a theory of, that you've ha- had with many years of data to back it up some horses just don't improve from their first prep yeah they just don't go to that next step yeah and of course as a youngster you can get some you know big advantages in the sense it all comes back down to your evolution of where you are in terms of your structure your race smarts and some are early stages some are middle stages some are late stages and you can get advantage in that area but the the, the biggest challenge is with most horses is unfortunately they might start off as benchmark horses and they just stay there forever, right? They're chasing that or they might put in a problem. Let's say like Fireborn gets up around that sort of plus two range, but then can't get past it. That doesn't mean you can't win races. It just makes it really tough because there's a lot of horses that are in that range. And all of a sudden you don't have that advantage anymore because you have to race against older horses that are, you know, either, that could be, you know, like if we're talking, say, from two to three, there'll be a whole new group of horses that have never raced as two-year-olds, and they're coming out, and they they can come out and be better than that. Or, in the case of Fireburn, they just struggle to get past benchmark. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think uh, so. the runner-up there has obviously gone on. She's extreme, ended up winning an Oaks. But uh, as always, you have to be a bit careful once they, uh, once they get to the next ge- generation of their career from the two to three-year-old. It's always the biggest transition. 25th of March, uh, Mooney Valley, Moya Stakes, the last uh, Group 1 of the Melbourne season. Um, September runs beaten Helvors. And I wanted to bring this up, uh, this up, Vince, for this reason. Marabi gets beaten as, as odds-on favourite. It's a good lesson to be very careful taking deep odds on about a horse who's won its grand final. It was set for the uh, Oakley Plate. It was fantastic in winning. That was its fourth consecutive win. But into another high-pressure race, it was just game over. It had enough. Yeah, well, true, Ralphie. That is that is the, the scenario, and that, and that can happen, right? Yeah. Where, where you get this sort of setup. <laughs> How do you know sometimes when a horse is, is done for a preparation? Even that's tough. Got to be a tough thing for stables as well to try and work out. It can happen. Yeah. What do you do if you if you're in that situation? It doesn't mean your horse is bad. It's just this is the outcome on that day, and things don't always go to plan. Well, this is what like you were saying about some of the big prize money on offer, and we can flip even to the end of the year, and I know we'll get to the races individually, though, but some of these big prize money races, the trainers can't, have to have to go again, and Animo gets beaten in the McKinnon Stakes, Private Eye gets beaten in the uh, Mile, and, and that was a case of they've already won a grand final, but how can you not go again when there's so much big money up for grabs? Yeah, yeah, and, and again... It's, uh, that's that's actually a really interesting point that you make there, Ralph. In the sense that, like, I was just reflecting back on Animo, like all the data and everything sort of indicated that the potentially this horse had another run. But the reality was, on that day, the horse was done. Yeah, there was no more runs. It had actually peaked that right run prior, even though the data was indicating there was more to come. Because we, well, from my perspective, I didn't. I felt that the horse hadn't reached the ceiling yet and it was still trending towards it, but the campaign had come to the end because it was never going to get there on that campaign. That was more to the reality. And having that understanding and working out how do you use that into future references, well, this is the thing, Ralphie, these big races. And that I felt that Anima was like on a very traditional pathway Yep. in terms of what we see. They didn't sort of work outside of the box the horse still only had X amount of runs in its uh, preparation. The stable did actually peak on the days that they wanted to, and they had that one extra crack. And no, unfortunately, there was no more to get, to come for the horse, and it was the end. Is this is Animo going to keep racing? Yeah, I believe so. Yep, and they're, oh, they're, they're, wow. they're considering a, a tilt in uh, Europe in, in our winter, which would be oh, fantastic really? to see uh, see what? how he goes over there. What sort of racing are they looking at over there? Well, I assume the mile in two thousand races Royal Ascot Day. That type of Godolphin team to sort of showcase their best horse, that, or best Australian well, horse, anyway. Well, that's definitely one horse that is uh, more than capable of being going, being able to go over there and, oh, you know, if you want to call it fly the flag, but yeah, it could be competitive enough to win. Second of April, uh, Doncaster Day, Derby Day, uh, really always a fantastic race there. TJ Smith and the size produce, the four group ones. Have a look at the Doncaster, Vince, the uh, one by Mr. Brightside over on Thunderstruck, because this was one uh, in our preview podcast, you were very keen to oppose the short price favourite Forbidden Love, and there was some real... The, the, the reasoning for it, and I say this because there it was on the speed, 2.2 lengths above benchmark, but its leading runs were very, very soft wins as far as tempo and bottomless ground. So to then have to go up to a mile, 
it's just another level, whereas the uh, the tough horses like Mr. Brightside and I'm Thunderstruck, the older males, who'd come through a soft all-star mile, had that foundation to then produce their peak runs. Yeah, wow. Geez, that's uh, – yes, yes. Well, have a look at the – firstly, the race shape on the day, Ralphie. There it is. You know, the lead speed, Alsberg's going 13.4 lengths below benchmark, and this is all ground conditions. Completely. It's a good example. <laughs> but – where like where did the winner come from? Firstly, there it is, Mr. Brightside, thirteen uh, sixteen point five lengths below benchmark, three lengths off that speed. Even Forbidden Love was in the right spot, right? Travelling fourteen lengths below, just half length off that lead pace. And I'm just looking at I'm Thunderstruck here was like almost a further length behind Mr. Brightside. And this is this is the this is the game, right? When you got this ground condition, it, uh, can play havoc with a, a lot of setups, and. It all comes back down to where you are in the campaign. Performance-wise, though, I just sort of sit back and I'm, you know, I'm just looking at Mr. Brightside, Ralphie, and, and asking myself, have we really seen the best of this horse? I, I felt that over the, the spring carnival, it never happened for this horse. It looked like the trigger was was there for it to, to happen, but it just didn't happen. And I, I sort of asked myself, but why? You know, Why didn't it happen? Was it? to do with preparation, the races they were targeting, was it the ground conditions, and then the horse just runs out of, I don't want to say bullets, but just runs out of having too many runs and therefore they can't bring it to its top anymore. So that's a, that's a runner actually for me that I want to keep a close eye on, hoping that it comes back in the next campaign. And I'm not saying it's going to be a forgotten horse, but this is the sort of horse that it's definitely worthy of respect because I don't believe we got to see the best of it. I mean, I feel that what, what the, even what the stable was communicating through the preparation, they really had the, the belief that this horse was going to become its best self and yep. they, didn't, they didn't get to see it on the racetrack. And I just felt that they might have just been a little bit unlucky in terms of they got they copped a number of wet tracks were off. It didn't work for the horse this time in and who knows who knows hopefully you know i, I looked at this horse so maybe you've got the capacity to go to plus six plus seven but we did we just didn't see it uh race earlier nature strip uh, won again the tj smith he's been australia's best sprinter for a few years now he's just an absolute ripper and uh before i ask you about just just where, how we profiled in uh, in 2022 let's have a listen to his marvelous win win called nature stripe by the uk caller but it is a great Australian sprinter, Nature Stripe and James McDonald, and look how far they've won by. And Vince, it was fantastic to see him put it together over at Ascot. But so let's go back to, to what we always do, the pure data perspective. Did that win surprise you, or is that just the fact that in the UK, in the old truism that their stays are better than ours and our sprinters are better than theirs? Well, yes, that could be the case. Quite, quite possible. Yes, I would say that is the case. And really, I mean, at the end of the day, it, it went out there and was able to get victory in the in the in the sort of low four range. And we knew that Nature Strip had the capacity to go plus six or better on any given day. So the horse was able to get victory. But the race shape was the big the big catalyst for the horse as well. The way that race panned out just allowed the horse. It, it probably hadn't seen a softer sort of race shape for a long time. And to be able to get that in a race like that was always going to then get victory, Ralphie, and, it, and probably could have had the potential to put a bigger figure on the clock, but the race shape didn't allow it. And oh, I guess it made the rest of the field look a little bit 
ordinary. Super. All right. Well, that, that concludes Melbourne and Sydney, looking at the uh, the uh, big races in the first half of the year. And uh, that concludes our uh, our free version of uh, the year-round carnival year in review. Really appreciate uh, you listening to it, and hopefully we uh, gave you some insights, and we continue to give you insights in 2020 through th- 2023. Part two is members only. So we want to support people who support us. So uh, we're going to go through the second half of the uh, 2020 to racing season uh, and send it as an email exclusively to our members. So all our loyal members will be getting that. If you want to become a member, uh, if you become a Group 1 member, we'll send it to you or if you want to join up as a listed member for the year. So we want to support the people who support us. But if you want to jump on board, get the second half and also then every week get best of the day from Melbourne and Sydney, just do so via my website, racetrackrelfie.com.au. Click on the links to become a member of Year Round Carnival. In the meantime, have a marvellous Christmas and New Year period. Stay safe, stay healthy.